This program is brought to you by the Practicing Law Institute, a nonprofit learning organization dedicated to keeping attorneys, professionals, and accountants at the forefront of knowledge and expertise. Hello, and welcome to the Insecurities Podcast. Keeping it fresh and staying wonky on the latest securities, regulatory, and enforcement developments with a practitioner's perspective on the stories you should be following. As always, I'm Chris Ekimoff, and I'm here with my co-host, Kurt Wolf. It's good to be with you, Chris. You know, today I'm excited because we've got a great guest, but it is really going to help us kind of tee up our partnership with PLI, which we like to do from time to time. Of course, we're very fortunate to have PLI's support here on the Insecurities Podcast. And every once in a while, we like to explore some of the valuable programs and products that are available through PLI. Uh, If we think back to episode 36, we caught up with Rob Cohen, Joan McCown, and Richard Owens to talk about PLI's annual enforcement perspectives program. On episode 48, we chatted with Meredith Cross, Keir Gums, and Carmen Lawrence about one of PLI's flagship programs, the annual Institute on Securities Regulation. I know I tune in for some or or all of both Mm -hmm. of those programs every year. In addition to the more than 10,000 hours of live and on-demand programs and webcasts, all of which are available for listening and viewing at pli.edu or on their new app, PLI has an impressive catalog of publications, including course handbooks and treatises. Among them, PLI offers a number of answer books that provide practical guidance on important regulatory topics like corporate compliance, insurance regulation, insider trading, and financial institutions. This month, and this is June 2023, just in case you're listening to this sometime in the future, PLI will release the latest edition of its SEC Compliance and Enforcement Answer Book, which is sort of an expert Q&A guide. We're excited to tell you more about the answer book and some of the hot topics it covers. And we've got just the right guest in our virtual recording room to help us walk you through it. We are joined today by Jennifer Lee. Jennifer. Hello, Jennifer. Great, great to have you. We want to share a little bit about you, Jennifer. You're you're a partner with Cravath, Swain & Moore's Investigations and Regulatory Enforcement Practice. You are most notably a former Associate Director in the SEC's Division of Enforcement, having served more than 20 years. And, you know, not to puff you up too much, but we did acknowledge that during your tenure at the SEC, you did receive the Chairman's Award for Excellence and several Division Director Awards. But most notably, maybe in terms of the PLI Insecurities podcast, you are a longtime contributor to programs at PLI as a faculty member and now editor and author of the SEC Compliance and Enforcement Answer Book. Jennifer, thanks for taking some time today to speak with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So as I mentioned, this month, PLI is going to release the latest edition of its SEC Compliance and Enforcement Answer Book. It's a guidebook that offers leading practitioners perspectives on hundreds of real-world questions. Among other things, the answer book covers topics relating to SEC investigations, including cooperating with the SEC, handling parallel investigations, the Wells process, remedies and sanctions, and a number of other substantive hot topics like crypto investigations, cybersecurity issues, and some of the perennial favorites like insider trading, 
the FCPA, offering fraud, et cetera. I could go on and on and on. Jennifer is the editor of the latest edition of The Answer Book, and we're excited to hear from her a little bit about the process of writing the book and some of the topics or chapters that, that she would like to flag. So before we get into any of the substance, Jennifer, why don't you just tell us a little bit about The Answer Book? What does it cover? Who is the intended audience? Sure. Well, The Answer Book is 24 chapters long, and it's got really about, I think, 21 different authors. It, As you mentioned quickly, it brings together practitioners, all but one of whom served at one time or another on the SEC Enforcement Division staff. And, and the first half, about the first half of the book, cover the process of, of an enforcement investigation from soup to nuts. The first chapter is about internal investigations that one might do in anticipation of or at the very beginning of an enforcement investigation. And then it goes all the way through the investigation, the Wells process, settlements and, and litigating with the SEC. And then the second half of the book addresses the full range of subject matters that the SEC brings cases about, right? So there are chapters, like you mentioned, insider trading, FCPA, market manipulation, different things like that, crypto, cybersecurity issue. We have a chapter on special issues relating to attorneys and another one on special issues relating to accountants. There's a chapter on public disclosure of SEC investigation, when it should be disclosed, how it can be disclosed, more often how it's not disclosed. There's a chapter on SEC appointed monitors. They're usually independent consultants in the SEC lexicon. So it really, it's, it's designed to, to be first stop shopping and, and in some cases one stop shopping for a sophisticated practitioner who may not be doing SEC enforcement work day to day. It sounds like a great intended audience, but maybe I'll describe it in, in a different way, Jennifer. It, it should be the coffee table book of every Insecurities <laughs> podcast listener out there. For those of you who don't already have a copy, I'm sure you can find that at pli.edu. But, you know, we talked a little bit, Jennifer, about this being the update, right? The 2023 edition. I'm interested from your perspective, you know, over the years that the answer book has been put out, which edition is your favorite? The current one, of I course. I was going to say, with, with a new editor in place, maybe this year would, would, would shake it up, of course. But, you know, obviously we've talked, and, and Kurt, you know, you and I really focus some of the content we put out in the podcast to be what we call evergreen, right? Those revisited top at time after time. We most recently just did an update on insider trading law and, and some of the recent cases that have come out. Jennifer, from the Answer Books perspective, what are some of those evergreen topics that are covered across every edition or, or maybe will you know continue to, to be seen in the 2023 version as well? Well, really, there are only two brand new chapters. Hmm. One is a new chapter on crypto, as you would imagine. Mm -hmm. And one is a new chapter on examinations, which are often the precursor to enforcement investigations. The chapter on regulated entities in prior editions had just gotten so enormous and unwieldy. Mm. We split it in half into two chapters. You know, this book was, was started about a decade ago by Dave Stewart. Many listeners of the podcast may know him. He's been in this community a long, long time. He was a Cravath partner until he recently retired. I think Dave was the editor for five editions. This is the sixth. And it evolves a little bit from one edition to the other, mostly updating with current, you know, current cases and, and new practices. 
both because I'm the new editor and because it's just a time of, of great changes at the commission. This is probably a more significant updating than, than there's been in the last couple of editions. But the content, if you saw the first edition, you would recognize it directly in the, in the mm -hmm. current edition. Excellent. You're taking it, Kurt, or me? Go for it. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to stop the natural flow, man. I mean, it's interesting. You can imagine that over the last 10 years, of course, priorities have changed at the SEC and for the enforcement staff. So it makes sense that maybe there would be a little bit of an evolution, right? And I think it's maybe a particularly interesting time mm -hmm. to be working on an SEC answer book. The landscape is maybe shifting beneath our feet, or it feels like that some days, maybe the last few weeks in particular. <laughs> but I wonder how your experience sort of as a, as a longtime member of the staff, and also in private practice, you know, to the extent that that changes your perspective, sort of shift your approach to editing the book. I mean, I think you said it was maybe the biggest edit of all the editions. So how did you draw on your experience in thinking about maybe where things needed some tweaking? Well, let's see. I guess my overall approach was informed by my longtime belief that changes in the enforcement landscape are often actually overstated. I mean, you know, most of the bread and butter work of the division doesn't change that much mm -hmm. year to year, administration to administration. It's, it's changes on the margins, shifts of focus, maybe, you know, more resources today on cyber and crypto, obviously, than there would have been a, a few years ago. To me, it was important to make sure that everything was updated and to look at some, the, you know, the topics where there really have been court, a lot of, of, of court attention, remedies comes to mind, and changes in the process that the current leadership has in place, just, just generally updating things. But I, it's important to remember the bread and butter work year to year is largely the same. Jennifer, I don't want to ignore the the emphasis on on what an, an update is as the editor, right? We talked about 24 chapters here, staying current basically every two years, right? With with right. all the, the updates that have happened since the, the book first came out. I'm guessing that you yourself are not the one individually editing all of these specific chapters. Although maybe Jennifer, that's that's right up your alley. But if there are some other authors involved, who would you like to name drop in terms of supporting this book in the I most see. recent edition? Well, no, of course I couldn't do. I couldn't do all that, right? Understood. So I read, like I said, I read it through start to finish just to kind of inter issue spot mm -hmm. for my conversations with all of these authors, many of whom are, are far greater experts in the subtopics than I am, right? Mm -hmm. So we got Christy Lippman, who is the most recent chief of the cyber and crypto unit mm -hmm. at the division, to, to write the new chapter on crypto. We have Steve Pekin, who's the former co-director of the division. He updated the chapter on parallel investigations with the SEC. He, mm. of course, also has long history with the Southern District and the criminal authorities, so he was a natural person to do that. Lara Marabon is a former associate director in the New York Regional Office. She's a partner at Sidley in Austin now. She joined with Dan Walfish to update the remedies chapter, which as I that's one I called out as as really needing a, a really yeah. thorough workover given given recent recent updates. Jane Norberg is a is a past chief of the whistleblower office. Mm -hmm. She substantially revised the chapter on whistleblowers. Alec Cook, who's a partner at King and Spalding, updated the chapter dealing with special issues relating to accountants. And Stephen Schlegelmilch, who's at Debevoys mm. and, and was in the trial unit for many, many years, updated the chapter on litigating with the SEC. 
That's great. And, and Kurt, I know our, our production team at PLI is currently making a future guest list out of many of these experts for, <laughs> right. for podcast episodes in the future. But Jennifer, yeah. that's great. It really is kind of the, the A-team, right? The, the Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe of, of SEC experts coming together for this answer book. But let's dive into some of the topics, too, that, that we've touched on briefly, right? You've mentioned a couple times the changes to the landscape as it regards to remedies and sanctions before the commission. What are some of the highlights to, to the updates to that chapter, you know, based in both kind of the, the past as well as what we're looking for in the future with, with that section? Sure. So most listeners on this podcast are going to be very familiar with the big court cases in this space in the last mm-hmm. five years, Kokesh and Lou, right? And then there was the statutory development in January 2021, the NDAA, mm-hmm. which codified the commission's ability to seek disgorgement. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of there's been a lot of case law and changing theories about how disgorgement should be calculated, what the statute of limitations is, that kind of thing. So that that's a big focus in the new the new remedies chapter. But there's also at the same time a real I mean, there's always been an attention on not always been attention to non monetary remedies, but but currently they're getting, I think, you know, extra creativity applied to how the the staff and the commission are are seeking them. Um, So there's a discussion of of conduct-based injunctions, Hmm. not just, you know, the commission more and more is not just getting the obey the law injunctions that they always used to, but but trying to find a more specifically tailored injunction. And that goes for individuals too, right? Sometimes they're doing undertakings that relate to individual conduct. You know, Theranos is a good example of that. That's one of the cases that's discussed in the new chapter, Elizabeth Holmes. You know, she's, she has old old school remedies like a penalty and an O&D bar, but she also had some pretty creative undertakings that she had to agree to in order to, to get the case settled. So it's that kind of, those are the, some of the subjects. It's interesting. I've, I've got a completely unscripted question for you, Jennifer, but based okay. on how you're sort of describing this, the remedies and sanctions chapter, uh-huh. I mean, I wonder how much in the book your your authors are talking about policy, right? Because there, it's, sometimes it's interesting to hear how, you know, like the views of the directors of enforcement change from time to time with respect to how are we going to think about disgorgement and civil monetary sanctions, right? I mean, I think recently or, you know, within the last year or so, we've heard from Director Graywall that, that he's looking for something like a one-to-one. Right. But that's not necessarily the way that Stephanie Avakian or Steve Pekin might have thought about it or others before them. So, I mean, does does the answer book touch on something that I'm going to call them sort of policy issues? Yes, very much. I think you, you would you find that theme throughout the answer book. It's intended to be a current resource. And, and there have been, a, you know, revised editions every couple of years. And we hope, certainly hope there'll be another one a couple of years from now. So Director Grewal Gerbier is quoted a lot. His speeches, of course, are a really good source of color for how he views the enforcement process and what the priorities of the division are going to be. And, uh, you know, several chapters dig into that and and refer to statements of his at PLI's SEC Speaks last year. Right. That was a memorable speech. <laughs> right, right, right. His speech and Sanjay's remarks, Sanjay Wanla, yeah. the deputy director, they're, they're both, they both show up, make cameos in the book, multiple yeah. places. But I mean, it's important, right, to be, to, to be an effective defense attorney and a sophisticated practitioner. It's super important to be current on the policy of the current the current SEC administration, right? So you, I, that's a critical part of the book, I would say. 
Yeah. No, I, I remember those speeches well. I know Chris and I were both tweeting feverishly That's during right. the speeches. You know, in addition to talking about the penalties, I know that the director also talked a little bit about the SE's posture or appetite in litigated matters, pointing out, you know, how frequently they win. And of course, this is an area where we can all maybe debate the statistics that's a little right. bit. But, I was just agreeing with you. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, that's okay. No, no. <laughs> Please cut them off but, as much as you want, Jennifer. I hear them way too much. Chris does it all the time. But so, you know, one of the chapters that I think you, you mentioned earlier was a new chapter on litigating with the SEC and negotiating settlements. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that chapter. Who, who wrote or updated it? And what do you think are some of the key takeaways for folks who might read it? Sure. So Stephen Schlegelmilch at Deba Voice updated the litigating with the SEC chapter, and I updated the negotiating with the SEC wow. chapter. And there, you know, there are two there are two sides of the same coin in a way, right? I think again, all the you know the audience of this podcast knows very well that the SEC is taking a very aggressive approach to in many ways right now and they're willing to litigate more than they ever have been in the past i was as you mentioned earlier i was at the sec for more than 20 years and and although in some ways changes are overstated i think the sec is taking on cases now in in litigation that it would not have done years ago the sec actually filed a litigated complaint of relating to the partial tender offer rules for example Mm -hmm. super super technical and and they're taking on matters of judgment that they, you know they're just they're just pushing the envelope on on what they're willing to litigate and having an awareness of that and and anticipating that they might litigate is just a critical lens through which to view how you're going to handle an entire representation the Part of the litigating chapter is devoted, most of it is devoted to federal court litigation because the SEC is not filing many, if any, administrative cases right now because of all the the constitutional challenges. Those challenges are are touched on, but this is really designed to be a a practical manual. So it 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 just it it notes their existence and then mm-hmm. really focuses focuses back in on what it will hopefully be helpful to people. You know, you've meant, um, you just mentioned the, the focus on increasing penalties. That's one of several remedies that the commission is focusing on. And the, the chapter on negotiating settlements with the SEC, trying to negotiate, recognizes that it's a difficult time and, and defense counsel need to be prepared for tough negotiations with the staff. But at the same time, the staff, the, you know, the commission can't litigate everything. Even even with their even staffed up, they can't litigate everything. So it it the chapter urges counsel to really their battles carefully and and try to try to understand what's important to the commission and the and the staff. What what piece of a case? What theory? What remedy? And and conserve your resources and pick your battles carefully and also to focus on litigation risk because that is that's really an effective way to soften up for lack of a better word you know to soften up the staff and say look you, you know you're willing to litigate more than you used to but but they still want to win so and then you know one of the other things that was touched on there too Jennifer is the discussion of that chapter around negotiating settlements right that's such an interesting nuance for 
kind of that that outcome, right? I see it, it might be unfair to say, kind of like a game of chicken, if you will, right? Is, is we're all coming to the table with, with facts and, and circumstances we think are helpful to each side's case. I remember early in my career, I was in a civil uh, civil case in which, you know, we sat down with a, a mediator between the two sides and she brought up litigation risk. And I'm two years out of accounting school. So that was something new to me to hear. But she turned to both sides and basically said, both of you guys have a chance of losing. And me being two years out of school with all these great facts in hand, I said, no way do we have any chance of losing. But, you know, that case ended up settling, I think, you know, because of the, the effectiveness of that mediator. So that that vignette from my early career aside, uh, what kind of insights are we pulling from the, the negotiating settlements with SEC? You know, you talked a little bit about some of the, the new orders and things that have come out in like the Theranos case. But are there other tactics or ideas that maybe you can highlight from that chapter? Well, I think it's it's really just what I said, which mm-hmm. is you have to you have to try to understand as be- it's just like any other negotiation, really, yeah. right? You have to you have to really try to understand what the SEC is looking for and where they think the the problems are, and either explain to them why they can't prove what they're alleging or they're, or they're you know they're saying they're going to allege, yeah. or why sometimes they get it wrong. You know, one thing I've really enjoyed about my first year off the staff and back in private practice, the world is, you know, as an SEC staff attorney or or supervisor, you know what you know, Mm -hmm. and you know what is in the record before you and you know what you've been able to find. But you don't know a lot, right? You don't know everything around that record that hasn't been brought in front of you. So that can that can be a very helpful thing for for counsel to do is to is to really view particularly early in a case, educating the staff as as part of a long-term settlement strategy. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're thorough, diligent attorneys who generally get it right, but, but they only know what they know. Exactly. That's yeah. great. I mean, one way that you can educate the staff, although you probably don't want to wait until you get here to do it, but it's through the, the Wells process. Mm-hmm. I mean, remind me, is that a separate chapter in the book or how that's do you That's a separate chapter. That? Yep, yep, that's a separate chapter. Wayne Carlin from Wachtell wrote that chapter and, ha- and has updated it recently. You know, the big, of course, the big development in the Wells process that the defense bar has been buzzing about for, I guess, 18 months now at least, it is Gerbeer's announcement, for lack of a better word, <laughs> that he and Sanjay are not always going to be taking Wells meetings which, you know, I I don't know. I sat through a lot of Wells meetings that didn't advance the ball at all, to be really candid. I, I think there probably are some cases where, you know, if you were talking about an appellate court, they would just decide it on the briefs is, is not a bad, is not a bad approach. But that certainly increases the importance of the written Wells submission, because I you don't always know ahead of time whether you're going to get, whether you're going to get a meeting or not. Yeah, and I think that touches on some of the recency of comments and you know from the commission. One other thing that has has been updated recently, you talked a little bit, you, you name dropped one of our favorite insecurities podcast guests of all time. I think we're we've had Jane on what, Kurt, four or five times now? I think it's four if you if you count the the appearance on the special New Year's Eve episode. That's that's correct. Our our virtual <laughs> holiday party, Jennifer, you'll you'll be getting a, an evite in your email for this year's edition. But yeah, the, you you mentioned her before Jane Norberg, former chief of the office of the whistleblower now with Arnold and Porter. You know, the guru of all things whistleblowing came in to to help write that substantial update to the chapter. You know, Jane's position obviously is unique, but I think too her ability to communicate is really something that's going to be valuable to the SEC answer book. You know, what types of information, you know, 
know, do you know that she was helped provide to update that chapter? Sure. Well, so the before Jane took it over, the previous author was Jordan Thomas and mm-hmm. Rich Levine. Rich Levine, of course, is a, is a beloved former member of the general counsel's office mm-hmm. at the SEC. That's right. And Jordan Thomas was, I think, the first chief of the office of the whistleblower. But Jordan, of course, represents whistleblowers now. And so the chapter previously had been sort of an overview of the statutory framework and how the system Hmm. works from the whistleblower's perspective. Jane turned that around and retained a lot of that sort of basic statutory information, but really redrafted it to provide best practices and practice pointers for for companies to protect themselves, right? And so she includes a long discussion of the recent, I say recent, there's been a steady stream of them over the last like five or six years, Rule 21F17A mm-hmm. for the SEC nerds out there, which prohibits the impeding of whistleblowers, right, by companies. And and the commission has given confidentiality agreements and employment agreements and things like that a very close read to make sure that they don't restrain whistleblowers. And so Jane's got a long discussion of how not to to run afoul of, of that rule. And then she, you know, she just runs through a whole series of, and if you, you know, she's been on this podcast, she's probably talked about most of this. I've Mm -hmm. heard her, I've heard her speak and she hammers on the same themes many times because they're such good ones, you know, making sure you have good internal policies around the whistleblower system, make sure you actually execute. You don't just have written policies, but you follow through and, and implement them and make sure people are trained properly things like that. So she's, she's really, she's really changed that chapter a lot, I would say. Jennifer, just quickly, is is that kind of something you've seen in the updated two editions? The Office of the Whistleblower and that idea has obviously gained a lot of traction in the last five or six years. So the writing of the book moved from a description of the landscape to kind of those practical answer issues. Has that happened in other areas as well in terms of some of the chapters you've seen? say I would say it's a mix. I mean mm-hmm. the book has always been intended to be a practical manual. It's not a law review article, yeah. right? It's not mm-hmm. it's not designed to it's not designed to give you the theory and the history. Although in places where it's interesting, the book does include mm-hmm. does include some of that. It's it's actually the chapter my revisions to the negotiating settlements chapter include a lot a lot more practical advice maybe than what then was in there before i would say it's more a tune-up to be to stay current back Mm -hmm. to kurt's point about the policy questions right to 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 address the current the current climate i mean in the current climate there is of course one topic that we cannot avoid and that would be (laughs) digital assets digital asset securities token what you will i don't know we'll we'll agree on the terminology (laughs) another day but I, i know that there is a new chapter dedicated to crypto regulation and enforcement. And I think you said Christy Littman helped with that one, but tell us a little bit about that chapter and some of the highlights. So Christy, right, it's the first time the chapter's been in the book. Christy drafted it from scratch. It It's really a, that chapter really is a survey of sort of the first stop to look for the landscape of how the SEC has been approaching enforcement in this area. It's impossible for it to be current 
right? Yeah. I mean, just look at the last two weeks. Be a reprint um, every two days, right? <laughs> right, right. You can't stay 100% current. So it, it does go through the test the commission applies and the, you know, some of the legal analysis, the evolution of the cases. It reminds the reader that the Howey test is not the only test out there. There's the Reeves test also for notes. And it, and it's, it tees up a lot of interesting issues for someone who finds themselves involved in a crypto case and and doesn't have a lot of experience with it. It's a it's a great resource for issue spotting. I can't wait to read that one. I mean, it, it especially because it's new, but I think it's really important to make sure that you're staying fresh on these issues. You're right. Things like, are we always going to talk about Howie? Are we going to talk about Reeves? <laughs> it, it really just depends, I think, on what is the particular thing that you're talking about, right? What is the, the asset that you're talking about? But I mean, look, we, we want to actually hear a, a little bit from you because I know that I mean, you've been very gracious to sort of highlight some of your co-authors and and talk about the valuable contributions that they had for the book. But I know that you put your stamp on it as well. And you're only able to do that because you've got a ton of great experience. One of the things that you said to us when we were talking about this episode that really stuck with me was this concept that you were on the staff for 23 years during which time you served under nine chairs, which is, an, I mean, maybe a lot of change, maybe not. Over the sweep, probably, maybe not from administration <laughs> to administration. But I would just love to hear your perspective sort of on, on how things changed during that time, on where we might be now, where we're going. Just maybe help us peek around the corner a little bit. Sure. Well, it's, yes, my tenure at the SEC goes all the way back to Arthur Levitt. He wow. was the he was the first chairman I, I worked for and I worked for Dick Walker was the division mm -hmm. director. So mm -hmm. Bill McLucas had already left the building, but his his footsteps were still heard in the hallway. Of course, they, they still I might. Was, yeah, I was going to say it's happening now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he still he was still a large presence when I started. I mean, I think there's been a slow evolution over the years. I might put a break in that slow evolution after the financial crisis and made off. There was mm -hmm. that was more like an earthquake maybe than a slow evolution. Mm -hmm. I think I, I think the SEC is better than ever, really. Mm. I think we got better and better over the 20 some years that I was there. Just more sophisticated about strategic thinking around how we were going to build the pro. We just hired terrific people year after year. I mean, the SEC staff gets great, great people to join to join it. I, you know, it's hard for me to really say because I, I, I the staff is perennial, right? And the chairman come and go, the commissioners come and go. The staff changes, but it changes very slow. And they're they're the same group of, of dedicated professionals they've always been. I you know, I might give a shout out again, just to focus back ten years ago, twelve years ago now, to the restructuring of the division and I, I would I think the division really upped its game then. Um, I I don't know. I, I refuse to talk anymore about the elimination of branch chiefs. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> it's a whole other podcast, a whole other yeah, episode. Well, it's also like it's, it's been a decade. Let's, all, right. Right. let's right. all move on. The other thing I would note, I, I mean, the commission is more political than it was, which I don't. I don't necessarily view that as a good thing. I mean, I, th I think these administrative agencies across Washington, including the SEC, they're always going to be a little bit political. But it should be, other than for us SEC nerds, which find it interesting enough to spend our careers in the space, it should be boring, right? It's 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 a, it's a technical industry. There are technical requirements, and I I think the becoming such a high-profile place that's the subject of of political back and forth is not 
totally healthy for the institution, I would say. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah. No, I, th I think it does. You know, it's interesting. We've had guests make the point before that that the commission has become more political. And I mean, speaking of Bill McLucas, I've heard him say that at the Securities Enforcement Forum, where I mean, making the point that the commission used to speak typically with one voice, right? You would, right? If it wasn't five zero on the voting, at least they would kind of come out, and, and it seemed like the commission was rallied behind whatever the particular opinion or decision was. Now. You, you get much more vocal dissents from, from all corners, right? So that we're not going to single anyone out. Although I do, we do love Hester Purse here on the show and, and I always enjoy her dissents. But I think your bigger you point is- you know she's a good baker? No. Yes. Breaking yes. news on the Insecurities Podcast. Breaking news on the Insecurities Podcast. That's right. She When she first joined the commission, she met with lots of the staff in mm -hmm. small groups and she baked. It was It was lovely. That's amazing. That's, and here she came on the show and talked about beekeeping. Who knew that she was she keeping talked, a secret? She talked, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think you're right as well that the, the staff, it, it has gotten better. I mean, if you just think about the types of cases they're bringing, the types of tools that are available and how they're deploying them now, it's different. I mean, I've been doing this for about 15 years. And even during that period, I've seen it change an awful lot. So I mean, I, I think you're, yes, you absolutely answered the question. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, agree. I was sort of stammering around trying to find the words to articulate it because it's not, it's it's the kind of, you know it when you see a thing, mm -hmm. right? It's just the the quality of the work product and, and the sophisticated way they're doing data mining, mm -hmm. right? And and looking for, for leads that way. Nobody was doing that 10 years ago. I mean, mm -hmm. a little bit, but it's, a, it's it, in all ways, I think things have, have gotten more sophisticated, which is a challenge, right? It's a challenge for, for defense counsel and it's, a, and it's a challenge for regulated entity, entities in particular. But, you know, I would argue it's better to have a good SEC than to have a bad SEC, right? That's Completely. right. Excellent. Well, Jennifer, you know, we're so happy to have you on to talk a bit about your role as the editor and updating some of the chapters of the SEC Compliance and Enforcement Answer Book 2023 edition, hashtag best edition ever. Uh, one question, a lot of people now are consuming their novels, their nonfiction, their, their you know, reference materials via audio. Is there any chance that there's going to be an audiobook version of the answer book? And will you be reading that book, Jennifer? No. If there's going to be an audiobook, each author will have to read her or his own chapter. And I can think of some of these authors who I would like I would like a recording of their reaction. Excellent. Well, I mean, when it's, I ask it's, them to read it out loud. That's, that's right. I think it's about every two years the answer book's updated. So maybe the 2025 edition, hey. we can work on an audio book. Jennifer, thanks so much for taking the time to join us and talk about the book. Uh, uh, for those listeners out there who are interested, check out pli.edu. Search for the SEC Compliance and Enforcement Answer Book. It is will be available in an electronic copy. And for those of us nerds out here, may be able to get a physical copy for that coffee table. Kurt, I'll be looking the next time I'm over at your house. Oh, it'll be right right up there within a couple of weeks. <laughs> you got to put it on the bookshelf behind you, right? Amen. So everyone can see. You got it. See it, a badge, a badge of honor for us. Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Insecurities Podcast. And a special thanks to our guest, Jennifer Leet of Cravath. 
As always, we want to hear from you regarding your thoughts, comments, and topics for discussion on future episodes of Insecurities. Please use the hashtag InsecuritiesPod on Twitter or LinkedIn to join the conversation. You can find me at EkimoffCPA. And I'm at Enforce underscore Update. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Insecurities Podcast wherever you listen. Be well, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Insecurities, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. PLI is a nonprofit provider of authoritative professional services training and continuing education. In an increasingly complex business environment where intricate corporate structures reign, Insecurities can help you make sense of it all. A special thanks goes to the producer of Insecurities, Daniel Pinitz, as well as hosts Chris Ekimoff and Kurt Wolf. For more information about PLI's SEC Institute, or to view hundreds of hours of fresh and relevant on-demand programming covering changes within the security sector, visit pli.edu membership and sign up for a privileged membership. These recorded materials are designed for educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal, audit, tax, consulting, business, financial, investment, or other professional advice, and it does not create an attorney-client relationship. Please consult a qualified professional advisor before taking any action based on the information herein. Furthermore, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual participants. These views are not the views of the hosts or their employers. Users of this podcast may save and use the podcast only for personal or other non-commercial educational purposes. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission from PLI. PLI.